This is the Scott Seidenberg Show on 98.7 ESPN. And I was, it's funny, I was listening to the K Show the other day, and uh, a caller was saying that if you really want to make money this season, just bet against the Knicks when they have a lead in the second half or the fourth quarter. I thought that was funny. It's, it's pretty good betting advice because the, the Knicks have blown, what, three 20-point leads in the last two weeks. So imagine betting the money line on, on the Nets when they're down 28 points against the Knicks. Yeah, you make a ton of money. It's, and again, I don't mean to laugh, but that's the only thing I can do as a Knicks fan because it's just so frustrating. Year in and year out, always waiting for what's next. Always wondering who's going to save this team. Obviously, the front office was an issue for years. And Dolan goes out and he hires Leon Rose, Worldwide West. And, you know, you're thinking that Leon Rose and his connections as an agent it will work out and he'll get some players in here. Hasn't at all. And blame Tibbs all you want. The roster is just not good enough. Not at all. I understand that Tibbs is going to get a lot of the blame. And I, because that's the easy thing to do. Here was Kendrick Perkins on NBA Today earlier this week talking about the players and their relationship with Tibbs. When I look at my guy Tom Thibodeau and I look at guys' body language, I'm looking at his body language. It's almost like guys are grown tired of hearing his voice and that's what happens with Tibbs I thought the two years off maybe he would have changed but the one year you could deal with him two years all of a sudden you get tired of hearing his voice and I think Tibbs has to tone it down a notch I, I don't buy that I don't buy that at all that the players are tired of hearing his voice oh so last year they weren't tired because for one year, you can deal with it, but then in year two, you can't deal with it. Someone tell me how that makes sense. And with all due respect to Perk, I mean, look, he played in the league. He knows. But I, I, I'm not buying that at all. I'm just, I'm just not. Because last season, this Knicks team gave you moments. And even this year. Right, like Kemba Walker scoring and, and the garden erupting. The Knicks give you moments. But the problem is that they don't sustain it because they don't have the horses to sustain it. Richard Jefferson, uh, also on NBA Today, uh, was asked what the Knicks can do now moving forward. How do they fix things? This is a basketball disgrace. This is this is a team that everybody in the world wants the Knicks to be great because the Knicks are iconic. We all grew up watching the Knicks, but their version of basketball they've they've played for the last, I don't know, 10 or plus seasons have just been inconsistent. It has been lacking any sort of effort or vision. And my biggest issue here now is that where do they go from here? What do they do? What can this team actually accomplish? Everyone having them possibly going to a conference finals. Stephen A, even though he's talking about he can't stand the Knicks, he he was killing Brooklyn earlier in the year. Apparently, Stephen A. can't watch basketball in New York at all anymore. So <laughs> I don't know what's going to go on. I just don't know where this team goes here. Isn't that a problem? That no one knows where's this, where this team's going to go. 
800-919-3776. When you look at the direction of this team, it just seems like there is really no direction with this team. You know, I talk about last year a lot because it was fun being a Knicks fan last season. Tibbs, though, says it himself. Last year does not matter. Everyone wants to look at, you know, like last year, this year. Every year is different. You can bring back the same exact group, and it can be different. That's usually the way this league works. And so the same things go into winning. And you start every year, you start at a zero base. And then, okay, what are we putting into the group together? Right? And what does it take to win? And we have to understand that. And there's no shortcuts to this. This is, this is about work. This is about competition. It's how we practice. It's how, how we play, putting the team first. You know, don't, you know like to me, the, the mental toughness and the discipline that goes into winning means you're willing to sacrifice what you think may be best for yourself for what's best for the team. And that's the way we, we all have to approach it. I get it, Coach. The players are frustrated. The fans are frustrated. There's a lot of questioning about your rotations, the way that you've been coaching this team. And yes, last year should not matter with the exception of the belief that you can get the job done. Anybody that thinks that Tibbs should get fired, in my opinion, is wrong. You don't fire a guy after two seasons, one of which was a COVID-filled season that he got them to the playoffs. This season, it has not worked out. And do you want to look at Derrick Rose's injury as the main factor? Okay, that's fine. You could do that. But I think it's a problem that this team was built around Derrick Rose. You see, if I'm pointing the fingers... I point the fingers at the Knicks' entire organization. And frankly, I put the point the fingers at us Knicks fans as well. Because it's like we're delusional sometimes. I'll admit it. I'm delusional. I buy in every time I'm thinking about somebody coming here to save us. What's the conversation going to be like in a couple of months, right? Oh, Anthony Davis. We're going to sign Anthony Davis. Donovan Mitchell. We're going to sign Donovan Mitchell. No, no one's no one's coming here. You had an opportunity, according to an article written by Mark Berman in the Post. You had an opportunity. DeMar DeRozan wanted to be here. Nick signed Evan Fournier instead. Was kind of concerned about DeRozan's three-point shooting. Meanwhile, had you signed DeRozan, yeah, maybe we'd be talking about Damian Lillard. And look at what DeRozan is doing, by the way. I mentioned the, the, the streak that he's been on. That streak that he's been on with the Bulls, by the way, as the number one seed in the Eastern Conference right now at the All-Star break, that streak that he's been on is also coinciding with Zach Levine being hurt, Lonzo Ball, Caruso. Like he, he's putting the team on his back. The Knicks don't have anybody like that. And for all the stats that Julius Randle puts up, he's not putting the team on his back and willing them to victory. You don't blow 
three 20 point leads in the last two weeks and have any confidence in what this team is doing at all. 800 919 3776. Let's go to the phones. Spike calling from St. Pete. What's going on, Spike? Okay, long time no talk, Scotty. How are you? Yeah, good to hear your voice, Spike. What's up? Yeah, yeah. All right, well, listen, listen, Dave Rothenberg uh, helped me out a lot. You know, I'm an old guy, seen every, the same age as the league, and I was at the championships. And if you listen, you hear me all the time. I, I took the emotion out of it because uh, Julius Randle is a, he's an empty scorer. It's empty points. It's all between his ears. And and how the team runs out of um, of energy at the end of the game is unbeknownst to me. I thought it was until someone helped me this morning. You mentioned the odds. I was because someone brought that up. The, the parlor was worth like thirty grand if you would have taken ninety three, ninety five. Well, was if you would, I can't. I'm Florida now, but but uh, you know, one of my kids, he he says, he says, just just text me when. In game day, just text me when, and and I tell you, I know my hoops. Yeah, I've been around forever. It means I'm just old, but I can feel it. And if you know, and you could see the collapse. They, they. I'm asking you as as a guy who's been in the business about a bit. Is it? Do they run out of gas? Do they? They start to slow it down. I know they don't have a closer. We know that. And I feel terrible for two guys, and I'll hang up and listen on the stream and get to talk to you. What they did to Alex Burke, he's a great guy. Yep. I have connections in the NBA from, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky, but I do to agencies. Well, nice, nicest guy. They put, first of all, they put him from 19 minutes a game to 34 and put him at point guard, and he can't handle the ball. That's, you know, the kid, the kid has a good stroke. But uh, and and then they get someone said to me this morning, they go, well, it's better than Kevin Knox and uh, and Frank Milikina. At least they got quickly. I said quickly. Sands the other game the other night regressed as much as anyone on this team. Spike, you know you know what the issue you know what the issue is, Spike. You know what the issue is, Spike. And I love hearing your voice. Appreciate the phone call. Uh, It's it's that the Knicks at times don't play to win games. They play not to lose games. And I know this is something that Tibbs has addressed, but you have a 20-point lead. There's no reason to all of a sudden, you know, okay, you empty the bench and you just kind of manage the game. No, what you have to do is you have to utilize that opportunity to get better. You have to utilize that opportunity to take some chances knowing that, you can fall back on a lead knowing that, okay, if I turn the basketball over here or if I miss a shot, it's not going to crush my team. But what happens is the Knicks start to play careful. The Knicks don't have the same effort and intensity on defense nor in, in, in rebounding. And then as the lead starts to fade, then the panic starts to get in. Jonathan Von Tobel is the senior NBA analyst for VSIN, the Vegas Stats and Information Network. Nobody does it better 
when it comes to the world of sports betting. And he joins me now here on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, JVT, let's talk about this Knicks team. Uh, Everyone wanting to point fingers as to who is really to blame, whether it's Tibbs, whether it's the front office, whether it's the players. When you watch this team, what's the biggest issue that you have seen so far this season? Well, I, I think you start with Tibbs, and, and I think that's part of the issue that I've seen with them when you watch them play, right? They, the, the way that they play offense, it, it allows teams to get back into it. You know, go back to that Nets game, for example, uh, in which they blew that, again, the third 20-point-plus point I believe that they've had in the last, what was it, seven games. You know, you're talking about offensive possessions that really don't have any flow. It's Julius Randle getting a post-up on Bruce Brown and refusing to take him to the, to the, to the hoop and instead just shooting a jumper over him. Right, it's ISO, wave everybody away, and put up a mid-range shot. It, there's nothing really that, in the flow of the offense that allows you to consistently hold on to leads. Because once individual guys start getting cold, well, then all of a sudden your offense uh, can't hold on to a lead, and your defense really isn't that great. And so teams come back. So look, I think it starts with Tibbs because I think when you look at the issues that this team has had, it's been the way the offense has been run. It's been allowing guys like Taj Gibson to play 25 plus minutes and not allowing dudes uh, like Emmanuel quickly to play big minutes in crunch time running points, uh, running the point, as opposed to getting a guy like Alex Burks to run the point, when statistically they're much better with quickly out there point guard as opposed to Burks. So uh, there's so many different issues with them, but I think to me it all lies at the feet of Tom Thibodeau because his decision-making as a coach in terms of lineups, in terms of offense, in terms of all of these things have led them to where they're at right now, which is three and a half, four games out of the 10th seed in the Eastern Conference. And, and so what's the possibilities now over the next 23 somewhat games? Uh, are they good enough to win enough games to get themselves into the play-in tournament? Or is this a team destined to just be hoping for the ping-pong balls in the draft lottery? I mean, I, I, I would think uh, theoretically they're good enough, but I think it also takes a, a changing of, of how you approach this, right? Like, you know, you have young guys on this team. And, like, uh, for example, you know, Quentin Grimes has actually been a really good player for them. And Quentin Grimes finally getting minutes, especially in the starting lineup, started the games. You know, we saw him big minutes in that game against the Brooklyn Nets. He started to make his way in. I, I think you shift more towards the youth movement, and you see what you have with these guys. Look, they have the fourth hardest remaining schedule by win percentage going down the stretch here. You know, we're talking about a game against Phoenix, game against Memphis, two against Miami. You have two against Philadelphia left on the schedule. And that's still, by the way, Philadelphia, as we know, more than likely, with James Harden that's going to be out there on the floor. So I, I think what you do is, you know, you can kind of do both, right? You can roll the young kids out there, whether it's, you know, topping quickly, you kind of shift over to this youth movement, see what you have. And they do have really good young pieces, I believe. And see if you can fight your way into a play-in situation. But I don't think it benefits you in any way whatsoever to continue to roll out these veterans uh, who, by the way, statistically were on the floor together are not very good and try to just pound your face into the, the pole and continue to see if this is going to provide, you know, some fruit that has not been there all season long. I think that's what you do. I think you fight for the play-in, but you do it with the young kids. Is it just as simple as getting Derrick Rose back on the floor? Because we know he's clearly been missed, but then again, that's a flaw in this team in its own right, relying on a 34, 35-year-old player. Right. It kind of goes back to what we're talking about, right? Like, yeah, like Derrick Rose getting back out there would help them immensely. Like the, the way that this offense has been run, they, they miss it, right? It goes back to the complaint that if you're going to have somebody run your offense, have it be quickly, who's actually pretty good at running the point as opposed to Alec Burks. Or if you had Derrick Rose available, it would be Derrick Rose running your offense. It would have a little bit more fluidity to it. But again, at the end of the day, it's like, so what's your goal, right? So let's say Derrick Rose comes back. You continue to roll out these veteran laden lineups. And let's say you do enough against one of the hardest schedules in the NBA to get to the 10 team. But then you're in a situation where you're in a play-in with this team 
And the play-in situation could involve the Toronto Raptors, the Brooklyn Nets, the Atlanta Hawks, and maybe even the Boston Celtics if they slide a half game back and get into that postseason. Like, that's a, that's a gauntlet, right? And, and above those four teams, New York's going to be the lowest power-rated team out of all four in the play-in. So congratulations, you made it to the play-in, and then all of a sudden you get eliminated and it doesn't really make that much of a difference for you. So, like, like to me, while they could use Derrick Rose and that would help them, again, I just go back to, like, as a team, if you're the New York Knicks, what is your end goal? And I think your end goal should be develop the guys that you have. I mean, you mentioned the Oklahoma City Thunder in the Open. The Oklahoma City Thunder are the 12th best defensive team in the NBA by efficiency standards. They are tied cover-wise, or excuse me, percentage-wise, for the best cover record in the NBA, and they clearly have a direction and a bright future. Uh, the New York Knicks right now are kind of headed in the opposite direction, and while I think they have some bright pieces, you know, they're not using them. So I, I think that's, to me, that's what the case is. So to go back to your original question, yeah, Rose helps, but in the grand scheme of things, he helps you do what? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jonathan Von Tobel, the senior NBA analyst for VSIN, the Vegas Stats and Information Network. Joining me, Scott Seidenberg here, 98.7 ESPN. You follow him on Twitter, at MeJVT. Uh, let's talk about the Nets now. Um, what has changed now about this team in the post-James Harden trade? Like, what do these new pieces, like a Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, bring to the table for this Nets team? Well, I have seen Drummond's pretty big. Like, he's been both figuratively and literally. But yeah, now they have somebody to guard Joel Embiid, right? Like, if you looked at this team pre, pre-trade, who are you throwing out there to guard Joel Embiid? Nicholas, like Nick Claxton, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge? Like, that's a really bad mismatch. They needed a, a center and a somewhat true center to match up at least size-wise to put a body in front of Joel Embiid. And Andre Drummond gives you that. So I, I think it's, it's immense that you're going to get him out there. And Seth Curry – gives you another off-ball piece that fills in the hole that's left by Joe Harris, right? Joe Harris' injury seems to be much more serious than originally indicated. You know, when he first got injured, I think the initial timeline was like four weeks. (laughs) And and that was like, what, at the end of November. And here we are (laughs) in February. Now the rumor is that he might need another surgery. So, like, I think that is – it's immense that you got Drummond because it helps you out in the matchups, of course, with Joel Embiid, the Philadelphia 76ers. And Seth Curry fills a void that you needed with another off-ball shooter – that Joe Harris was supposed to be. So I think at least when you talk about specifically those two, those are pretty good pieces to have if you're the Brooklyn Nets. So where do the Nets go here now in their final 20-somewhat games? Well, it, it, so it's it depends on when Ben Simmons comes back, right? Now, mm-hmm. he says that he most likely would be available uh, for that game against the Philadelphia 76ers at the beginning of March. That gives you about a week until that game, a little bit over that. By the time you come back from the All-Star break, for him to get ready and ready to go, whenever that's going to be. But, you know, they seem to be well-slotted and comfortably slotted into this playing situation. Now all that matters is when Simmons comes back, when Durant comes back, and how long they're going to be on the floor together to build some sort of on-court continuity to then you know, bring this forward into the play-in situation and thus maybe even the playoffs. And I, they'd be well-situated. Like, look, if, if you get both of them back on the floor with a little less than a month left to go to build up some sort of rapport with one another on the court – and then I think you're going to be fine once you get into this play-in tournament because when they're fully realized, they'll be the highest power-rated team of the four, whoever it is, in the play-in tournament. And depending on how the top of the East breaks out, it wouldn't be the worst situation to be the seventh or the eighth seed, right? Let's say the Chicago Bulls grab the first overall seed from the Miami Heat. Well, Brooklyn as the eighth seed, they'd be in a pretty good position there against Chicago. And on top of that, with this vaccine mandate isn't lifted over there in New York, well, then all of a sudden you're in an even better situation because you're the road team in that series. You get Kyrie Irving for a majority of the games as opposed to being at home. So uh, I think they're in a pretty good position. Ben Simmons is a great defender. We know that. I think he fits extremely well with the lineup they want to put out there. Like the Westgate Superbook out here in Las Vegas, when the trade went down, 
initially went to 10 to 1, and I thought that was a great bet to make if it was going to last. And sure enough, within 20 minutes, it was gone and down to 8 to 1. <laughs> you know, if they're fully realized, they're going to be a pretty dangerous team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, what will be different about James Harden in Philadelphia from what we saw in his brief time in Brooklyn? <laughs> I mean, well, I'll say this, at least in comparison with the last few weeks of James Harden, he'll care, right? Like, <laughs> you know, Brooklyn did at least, you know, the Nets did see, I, I thought, a pretty good version of him. You know, last year I was at the forefront of the James Harden for MVP campaign because in those first 33 games, he, he was good for them. He was really good. When Kyrie got hurt, when Kevin Durant was out, he led that team uh, to win after win after win. He was one of the best players in the NBA, and then he hurt his hamstring, and we know how the rest of the season ends up. And then this year, the same thing starts to happen, and you hear from his camp, and it's just like, well, this isn't what I signed up for. Like, last year, yeah, that's fine. Injuries happened. This year, Kyrie's not playing due to a personal choice. Kevin Durant gets hurt again, and so he just wants to get out of there, and so he pouts and he quits. So I think you get a fully engaged James Harden, at least, for the end of the year, which is really good on the offensive end, because him and Embiid are absolutely fantastic. So I think that's kind of just the big difference. I think we tend to forget how good Harden was a season ago and just want to punt and, you know, and roast him just because of the way this year, at least the season ended with him in Brooklyn. And then, of course, we call back to what happened at the end of the tenure in Houston. But in between there is a dude who played extremely good basketball for a good chunk of the regular season last year. And I think that guy is still there. And if he's fully engaged, that's a really good dynamic duo that he's got with him and Embiid. JBT, appreciate the time as always. We'll talk again soon. Good to talk to you, but thank you. There he is, Jonathan Von Tobel, the senior NBA analyst for VSIN. That's the Vegas Stats and Information Network. You follow him on Twitter at MeJVT and read more of his work at vsin.com. Uh, great insight there. And, and I kind of agree with him on the Brooklyn Nets. Like, if Simmons plays in that first week of March, right, this team has. They're already locked in. Well, I don't want to say locked in, but they're pretty much they're pretty much going to be at the very worst in this play-in round. And then with a fully stacked team as a seventh seed going into the playoffs, who in their right mind wants to play the Brooklyn Nets? Obi Toppin will represent the Knicks in the dunk contest. Patty Mills will represent the Nets in the three-point competition. I'm actually picking Trey Young to win the three-point contest. I talked to an Atlanta Hawks reporter earlier this week, and uh, she was telling me how Trey Young is going into this event a little bit differently than he did the the last time that he was in the three-point contest, and he's highly motivated to win this thing. So, uh, you know, put a little money on Trey Young, got it at plus 450. So I think he'll win this award. I also sprinkled a little bit on Desmond Bain as well because dude's just a great spot-up shooter. So <laughs> I think he'll be all right in this contest. Uh, and then in the dunk contest, I, I, I'm going to go Obi. I think Obi Toppin's got the hops and uh, hopefully the creativity that's needed to win this uh, event and, and give the Knicks something to cheer for this season because it's been a disaster and there's no other way around it it's been a disaster early on in the season there was like hope there was promise i mean the knicks started the i mean they've always been like a you know a 500 team now a sub 500 team but remember when the knicks started the season off and they were five and one 
and you know they had beaten Philly, they beat fit, they beat uh, Chicago, and there was a little bit of excitement. The Knicks beat the Bucks, then they you know beat Philly again. There's just a lot. There was a lot of excitement at the beginning of the season for this Knicks team, and then things started going poorly. Then there was the stretch where they lost what you know, 10 of 11 games. And then, you know, a couple of wins, you bounce back and then they lose again, you know, you know, 11 of 12, 11 of 14. In fact, since let's go January 15th on January 15th, the Knicks beat the Atlanta Hawks. They were 22 and 21. That was the last time this season that the Knicks were above 500. Since that moment, the Knicks, <laughs> they, they were 22 and 21 on January 15th. It's February 19th. And in that month, the Knicks have won three basketball games. Three. They beat the Clippers. They beat the Kings. And then a baffling victory over the Warriors. Those are the only three wins. Meanwhile, they've lost 13 games. They're three and 13 since January 15th. That is not a good stretch of basketball at all. And you wonder what exactly is the issue here with the Knicks. Here was Tom Thibodeau on having to be remain, having to remain focused. You know, a byproduct of losing is everyone wants to place blame, right? And I understand that. You know, we all have jobs to do. Lock into it's not gone as well as it has. It didn't go great last year till the end. But lock into what we have to do. Don't get caught up in getting distracted uh, and focus on how we can do better. That's where I want the focus to lie. Well, unfortunately, that's not where the focus is right now, Tibbs. You know where the focus is right now? The focus is on who's to blame. The focus is on pointing fingers. And the report that came out from Ian Begley a couple of days ago was just damning for this Knicks team. Where Worldwide West is pointing the finger at the head coach. According to sources, in a conversation with James Dolan, West has been laying the blame for the season on Tibbs coaching. And could you make the case that it is Tibbs' fault? Yes, you can. But is that the only issue that is plaguing this Knicks team? Is that the rotations have not been good enough? That the minutes distribution is too in favor of the veterans and not in favor of the younger players? 
that's not the biggest issue with this Knicks team. They're not constructed properly. And it seems like every single year we're saying the same thing, but this is a front office that was brought in here to bring in marquee players. But that's it. This is not a front office that has a basketball pedigree of building a roster. Wes was brought in because of his connections to players. Leon Rose was brought in because he was a former agent who has connections to players. And guess what? There's no stars. They signed Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker. They didn't bring in any big-name stars that, that changed the landscape of this team. And it's an inexperienced front office because they don't there's no basketball, there's no pedigree there of building a successful basketball roster. Because if they if they knew better, they wouldn't be reliant upon Derrick Rose to be the, the 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 leader of this team, to be the point guard, to get the bulk of the minutes. The guy's 33 years old. We 34. That's who we're relying on. And don't get me wrong. Derrick Rose was the main reason why this team had success at the end of last year. And when he comes back, this team will look a lot better. But there's a flaw in believing that Derrick Rose is the centerpiece of the team. There's a flaw in believing that Julius Randle is the centerpiece of this team. Kemba Walker, it hasn't worked out. Are there good young pieces on this team? Yes. Should those young pieces get more run? Yes. But don't act like this was not a failure from the front office perspective of putting this team together. There's blame to go around everywhere with this Knicks team. And no, I don't think that firing Tibbs is the solution. I don't think that that's the case, that if you fire him, all of a sudden a new coach is going to come in, play all the young kids, and they're going to go on this winning streak. Or they're going to be, well, you can fire him. You're not going to fire him now, but you know what I'm saying? Like, they'll be better next year. No, I think they need to just reevaluate the way that this team is constructed for next season. And think about the, just the moves that could have been done in, in the past. It just seems like we're always playing the shoulda, woulda, coulda game with the Knicks. Yeah, you know, Darius Garland could have been drafted instead of R.J. Barrett. Garland's having a tremendous... He's an all-star. He is the point guard for the Cavs who are having a tremendous season. Instead of Obi Toppin, you could have got Tyrese Halliburton. could have got Cole Anthony. There have always been could have, would have, should have with this team, including a marquee name in the free agent market that is an MVP candidate right now that could have and should have been a member of the Knicks. Knicks and the possibility of bringing in DeMar DeRozan. And how there was interest. Scott Perry wanted to bring him in. Scott Perry thought that there would be links to Damian Lillard. 
that if they brought in DeRozan, they can get Lillard in a trade. And, and this was how the Knicks were going to get rebuilt. Uh, it didn't happen. Instead, Knicks sign Evan Fournier. Bulls grab uh, DeRozan. Three years, $82 million. Knicks didn't offer him anything. Knicks also brought back Derrick Rose and Alec Burks and, and, and wanted to run back a team that they had last year that went into the playoffs. But now Mark Berman of the Post reports that people close to DeRozan have let it be known that the Knicks were one of the teams he was most interested in signing with. His top choice was the Lakers. He wanted to uh, go back to where he grew up. These kids from Compton, the Lakers never made him an offer. The Knicks, this is from the article quote, the source said that the Knicks were informed DeRozan would have strong interest in coming to New York if they put together the parameters of a deal, but the Knicks did not. The Bulls nabbed DeRozan on a three-year, $82 million package. The source said that if the Knicks had matched Chicago's offer, DeRozan would have chosen the Big Apple. Just uh, another, I guess, kick in the you-know-where when it comes to this Knicks front office and just the organization as a whole. What should have, would have, and could have been. Speaking of the Knicks struggles, Jay will talking about what's going down with this team. The two people that New York Knicks fans had lauded about were Julius Randle and Tom Thibodeau. So the Thibodeau aspect we're just speaking about, right? Him running his courses, being really hard on guys all the time. And guys be like, enough. I, I can't deal with this kind of workman-like approach every single day in this league. And the second is Julius Randle. You know, down the stretch of the game last night, for anybody that was watching, there were two loose ball opportunities in which Julius Randle could have gone for them. But you talk about drowning a coach's ear out, right? Not listening anymore. Bruce Brown beat Julius Randall to both of those 50-50 balls. That to me is effort, man. And when there's a lack of effort because things are tough from your star player, even if you want to say thumbs down to the fans and the coaching can't get enough out of the players, uh, that leads to questions key about are these the right people to build our franchise on the backs of? So that's an indictment on the players, not the coaching. Kendrick Perkins on NBA Today earlier this week said that it's the coaching, not the players. When I look at my guy Tom Thibodeau and I look at guys' body language, I'm looking at his body language. It's almost like guys are grown tired of hearing his voice, and that's what happens with Tibbs. I thought the two years off, maybe he would have changed, but the one year, you could deal with him. Two years, all of a sudden, you get tired of hearing his voice, and I think Tibbs has to tone it down a notch. I don't buy that, okay? I don't. Okay, this is a guy that was the coach of the year last year that brought this team into the playoffs, and now all of a sudden the players don't want to listen to his voice? No, I think Jay will hit, the, hit, hit, the, you know, hit it right on the nose there. There's a lack of effort from the players, and there's no reason why. A professional basketball team should blow three 20-point leads in a seven-game span. 
It's inexcusable. How do you let that happen? You let that happen, not because of coaching. You let that happen because of effort. That's on the players. What do you think Tibbs is, is, is on the sideline calling the team together during a timeout going, all right, I think we should let them score here. Or, all right, here, here you go, guys. Let me break out this little clipboard here and, and give me my marker. Here's what I want you to do. When there's a uh, loose ball here, don't fight for the rebound because we're up by 28. So there's no reason to uh, fight for a rebound here. And then uh, don't worry about hurting yourself getting out to the corner three to, to defend it because we're, we're still up by 20 and, and we're okay. That's not what happens. It's on the players. And maybe it's a lack of leadership in the locker room. Maybe it's a lack of leadership on the floor. And does Derrick Rose help with that when he comes back? Sure, he does. But this team right now is broken. And I don't have any hope over the, the, the final 23 games of the season that this team's going to all of a sudden click together and and make up the three-and-a-half game deficit that they have and get the 10 seed and be in a play-in tournament? And then if, what's going to happen then? So let's say the Knicks do fight hard over these, these last 23 games. And let's say they win, uh, what's it going to take? At least 15 of them, right? 15 and eight is probably what it's going to take to uh, to get yourself to make up a three and a half game deficit. Cause you have to imagine that if a, if a team that they're chasing is going to drop down over their final stretch of games, I mean, how bad do the Hawks and or the Hornets or the wizards have to be? Cause the Hornets, I mean, listen, the Hornets have gone one and nine in their last 10 games. So they could easily drop down. So how bad do they have to be? Let's say they only win 10 games the rest of the way. Hawks only win 11 games the rest of the way, 12 games the rest of the way. Wizards win 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah, for the Knicks, it's got to be at least 15 wins, 15 and 8 down the stretch. So, okay, you get in. And now the play-in tournament is the Raptors. Let's say the Hornets drop off. Okay, we're going to drop the Hornets off. Let's say now it's the Raptors, the Nets, the Hawks, and the Knicks. The Knicks are easily the worst team out of those four. And if anything changes in the Eastern Conference standings, and let's say the Celtics wind up in that 7-8 range. Knicks, Celtics, Nets, Hawks, Knicks, Celtics, Rap. I mean, any combination, the Knicks are the worst team in that group. So they probably get blown out. In, in, in a play-in game. And if they win, then you go to a playoff series where you're going to have to play against the Sixers, the Bucks, the Bulls, the Heat. Not winning that. No, no, no. This team needs to refocus. They need a new approach. 800-919-3776. John is calling from New Jersey. What's going on, John? Thought about uh, your comment before and how you thought this well, The last game, you remember, was eight minutes left in the game. Um, the Knicks were fighting back and forth. It was 13-point lead. All of a sudden, Rand, uh, kids start putting in Randall in and the rest of the veteran. All of a sudden, that 13 points became a two-point deficit. 
it is his fault because he's managing who he's putting in the game. And when he decides he got all the rookies and the young kids and put in all the veterans and the league goes dwindling, that's his fault, man. And the fact that Randall's is lazy. Randall's not running after the ball, man. He's been watching the ball up, go bouncing around. You got to put somebody who's hungry. You got to sit Randall's on late in the game if he's not willing to effort, you know? Well, that, there's a double-edged sword there, John. I appreciate the phone call. Is that, yes, I agree. <laughs> this Randall does not put forth the effort sometimes. But you're also taking a guy off the floor that you're relying on to be your scorer. And that's a problem in its own in its own right. You know, look at, in that game against the Nets, Julius Randle had 31 points. You know, you're relying on him to score your points. So you, you, you almost, it's, it's like you can't take him out of the game. Because if you do, where you don't know where you're going to get the scoring from. Yes, I want to see. I think the approach for the Knicks has to be to play all the young kids. I think it has to be to, you know, let, you know, Grimes is now getting starting minutes. Okay. It has to be quickly. It's got to be Grimes. It's got to be Burks. It's got to be Reddish. It's got to be Toppin. Obi Toppin and Cam Reddish getting 20 minutes combined. It's just not good enough. I need to, it, I need to see the kids play. Cause like I said, over the next 23 somewhat games, they're not going to make a run. But what you can do is you could provide some excitement for the fan base. You could provide a look at what this team can build off of. Because you're not building around Julius Randle. Evan Fournier is not going anywhere. You know, Kemba Walker not going anywhere. But you got to let the kids play. You got to see what positive things that they can do. And then you wonder what this team could be next season if they do add a piece, a marquee name, which is what it seems like we're hoping for every single year, right? Well, let's wait until this guy's a free agent. Let's wait until this guy's a free agent. Let's wait until this guy's a free agent. It's the same cycle over and over and over again. Meanwhile, other teams in the NBA are building from the draft, are building from within, are grooming their players, and are just off to much, much better trajectories than the New York Knicks. This is the Scott Seidenberg Show on 98.7 ESPN.